have to play with this a little bit. Well, good morning. As Jen said, I'm Tamara. I'm the associate pastor. For those of you that are new, and I've seen some new faces, so welcome. Um, I always tell House when he tells me he's going to be gone, and he says, can you preach? And of course I can. And, um, and then I look at the passages. And then I text him. I go, seriously, you look at the passages, decide it's a hard one, and you say, Tamara can do it. I'm going to be gone. Because that's how I felt when I read this passage. We are at the end of our lamentation study. We're in chapter 5, if you want to turn to that in your Bibles. And um, we have learned so much. I, have en- I don't know about you guys. I've enjoyed lamentations. I never thought I would say that. Because I have read through lamentations and thought, oh my, this is the most depressing thing I've ever read. And yet I have found such hope and deep faith in these people and in Jeremiah. And it has really changed my mindset over the last few weeks that we have been doing this. Thank you, Robert. He's passing out Bibles for anyone that would like one. So what have we learned so far? We've learned in, we're just going to do a quick little review. We've learned that lamenting to lament is healthy. It's healthy to get out our feelings. It's healthy to express our emotions. It's not complaining. Complaining is unhealthy. But lamenting to God is healthy. All right, next slide. I for whatever reason, I'm getting these lovely slide change arrows. The second one is suffering in silence is not a virtue. Um, I really thought about this because so many of us walk around and what's on the outside is not what's going on in the inside. And we suffer in silence. We do not go to God. We don't go to um, those we trust that could pray for us, that could lift us up because we think, you know, I'm a faith-filled Christian. I can do this. I don't, we don't suffer. I had somebody tell me that. Well, as a Christian, you don't suffer. <laughs> have you seen my life? That's what I tell them. Have you, have you paid attention to my life? There has been a lot of suffering. Um, and so suffering in silence is not a virtue. It actually harms you. Next slide. I can't even get this. We are not asked to deny our emotions. God has never asked us to di- deny our emotions. We, he gave us emotions. He gave us emotions so that we can express ourselves in a healthy manner, in lamenting. Thank you, Kim. In lamenting, in crying, in our prayers. God gave us emotions for a reason. When we keep those pent up, Guess what we see? Road rage, abuse, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, right? We see kids that don't know how to express their emotions in a healthy way, and so they go and grab guns and shoot up people. They beat them up. We see adults do the same thing, that we need to express our way, our emotions. I'm going to have to read my notes so I don't have my iPad. Um We also learn that we can voice our protests, vent our feelings, and pour it all out to God. 
by doing that, we release something in ourselves. And God doesn't mind us doing that. If you've really read the Bible, the prophets have all done it. Moses did it. Isaiah did it. Jeremiah's done it. King David's done it. Jesus has done it. Right? Venting our protests. And it's okay. Next slide. So, just to go really quick, chapter one, we learned about grief and shame. Um, they had such grief as they watched their beautiful Jerusalem, their temples being torn down and burned. They watched in grief as people were taken as prisoners, killed, their land taken, burned, um, their women and children um, taken. And no one came to help them. No one came to help them. They thought because they had been, they reached out their hands to um, Egypt and Assyria and other places, but no one was there to help them. In chapter 2, we see the fall of Jerusalem was the consequence of their sin. Their sin was great, and it wasn't that they didn't have warning. They had plenty of warning but they continued to ignore those warnings. They continued to ignore God. They continued to do whatever they wanted. And as a consequence, Jerusalem is gone. They are gone as a people. In chapter 3, that's the capstone chapter. Jeremiah is speaking out of his suffering as grief for all of his people. He sees justice against the wicked. This is where his hope comes in. Even after all this stuff, he's going to God and goes, I see that there is justice, that there's consequences to the people that have done wicked. And if so, and if you've promised justice, you also promised peace and comfort. You've promised restoration to your people. And so that's where he found his hope because he knew God was just, and yet God kept his promises. I love the verse, um, God's compassions are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That is right in the middle of chapter 3. And that is that capstone verse. That's where we see the hope that God's mercies. His compassion are new every morning, and its faithfulness is great. In chapter 4, we see Jeremiah comparing the past with their present situation. It shows the depth of their suffering. The rich were now poor, where they had lots of bread to eat. They had nothing. Where they lived in splendor, and they had everything they wanted now. They had nothing. When they could live in freedom, they were now slaves. And then we come to chapter 5. Chapter 5, when life is too much to handle. How many of you have been there? I'm going to hold up like all my feet and my arms and everything. When life is too much to handle, when stuff gets crazy in our lives, in our world. Thank you, darling. It's too much to handle. How many of you have had anyone ever say, well, you know, God never gives you more than you can handle. 
I'm going to tell you people have said that to me in the midst of despair and I wanted to slap them and curse them. It was all I could do to hold my tongue. Because guess what? I had too much to handle. I couldn't handle it. And that's okay because God doesn't want us to handle it. He wants to handle it for us. What? Oh, amen. I thought you said, wait a minute. Like, wait a minute for what? Amen. Yes. He does not want us to handle everything in our lives. If he did, he wouldn't need to be here for us. He wants us to rely on him. And so he allows things to happen until we get the message that we can't do it on our own. And we get to rely on him. And that's where I hope each one of us is at, that we get to rely on him, not on our own power, not on our own strength. Because guess what? How many of you failed trying to do that? Right? We've all done it. Failed miserably. Failed miserably. And it took forever to come out of the pit. That's for me. I'm not talking about you. For me. So, Lamentations 5 is different. Before we get into reading it, Lamentations 5 is a little bit different than the other four chapters. One, it breaks pattern. What I mean by that is... Um, Chapters 1 through 4, each verse followed the Hebrew alphabet. I got the same arrow message, Kim. Um, The Hebrew alphabet. And so each verse started with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, So this one does not. Uh, It's the same length. It's 22 verses. It's the same length as 1, 2, and 4. Chapter 3 is 66 verses, but so it's the same length as 22 verses. Um, what's different? At this point, Jeremiah is exhausted. If he was here today, he'd say, stick a fork in me, I'm done. And he is exhausted. He has been warning his people for years. He has seen the destruction and atrocities that no one should ever see. He has been thrown in a literal pit. He has been begging God, praying to God. And now he's done. He's tired and cannot hold it together anymore. In this chapter, you see Jeremiah kind of get caught up in the chaos. His grief has exploded back into chaos where it was very orderly the first four chapters, this chapter is not. The chaos around, chaos around him has gotten to him. How many of you right now have kind of gotten caught up in some of the chaos that's going around us? And aren't we tired of it? I am so tired of it. And, that's, and Jeremiah's got a lot worse than we did. His grief has brought him right back into the chaos. He is done. So, Lamentations 5 is about Jeremiah succumbing to the chaos around him, but knowing it's okay to voice his emotions to God. It's okay. We can. And I'm going to show you. We're going to read the entire chapter of 5 
because I think it's important to see where Jeremiah is and what he's thinking, where Jerusalem was and where it wasn't. So Lamentations, we're just going to do the first 15 verses first. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. They have no inheritance. They have no homes anymore. We have become fatherless, our mothers, our widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. Where water was free, they would just go to the wells and get their water. Now they have to beg and buy it. They have to pay taxes on it. Wood, they would just go out and collect wood for their fires. Now they have to buy it and pay taxes on it. Sound familiar? Guess what we do? We buy our water and we buy our wood and we pay taxes on it. Scary, isn't it, how things come around full circle? Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. They're now having to submit to their enemies to get food put on their table. <coughs> our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. So this is where he's getting a little off. It's all dad's, mom and dad's fault, right? It's mom and dad's fault. They sinned. Yes, they sinned, but guess what? The papers like it too. It's like, And yes, there is sin. Your parents have sinned. Their, their parents have sinned. The parents of the parents of the parents have sinned. But we have the choice and the chance to break that. And they chose not to. So their ancestors, yes, sinned because they started it. They started the ball rolling. And yes, they are bearing the punishment, but they could have stopped it. They could have heeded to Jeremiah's warning, warnings and Jeremiah. They could have listened to God and sought out God, but they chose not to. Slaves rule over us, and there is no one to free us from their hands. They are now lower than the slaves. They are slaves' slaves. That's like the lowest you can get. They are now slaves' slaves. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. And they were saying that because of their malnutrition and their, and their hunger and because they were out in the open, their skin was literally turning black from malnutrition and the sun. Just think about it. Where they were, it's just kind of gross. Women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. Dancing has turned to mourning, and our joy is gone from our hearts. That sounds like a desperate man, doesn't it? Someone that has been through the ringer, has lost everything, and is done. What we see in this, though, that it, 
no one escaped. Princes and kings were taken and killed. The rich and the poor were in the same position now. It didn't matter. They were both slaves to the slaves. The women and girls were taken and killed in horrible acts. Little kids were now bearing the weight of wood and being slaves. The elders who used to sit at the gates and basically were the mentors and the thinkers were now gone. They had no one to look up to. It's a pretty bad place to be when every aspect of life, every station of life is now gone. There is no station. They were all slaves or they were dead. That's it. Isn't this a happy chapter that he left me with? Thank you, house, if you're listening. probably should look at my notes here to make sure I got everything. Yeah, I did. So let's go on to chapters, um, verses 16 through 20. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. From Mount Zion, which lies desolate with jackals prowling over it, And here's the aha moment. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. There is that glimmer of faith in the midst of despair, in the midst of chaos that Jeremiah is holding on to, that the people are holding on to. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Actually, I'm going to go back. At the end, no, no, never mind. I looked at my notes wrong. And then here we go again. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for long, for so long? Lord, you reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for so long? He's living in that paradox. God is king of the world, but our circumstances make us feel like God is nowhere around. We can't feel him. We can't see him. We can't hear him. How many times have we all said that? Our circumstances have gotten the best of us. We know he's king in our heads. We know he's king, that his throne is there, that we can know his promises are true in our head, but our circumstances are so bad that we say we cannot see him, we cannot hear him, we cannot feel him. He's abandoned us. He's nowhere around. But in fact, God is always around. God is always here. God is always here. Jen, I'm so sorry. Your music's going to be all over the floor. (laughs) Um, But God is always here. He is always around. 
God doesn't separate us from our circumstances. Or, or no. Yeah. Oh, God, no, here it is. I wrote it wrong. We are not separated from God because God separates from us, right? We are separated from God because we're living in our circumstances, because we let our circumstances dictate what's going on, and our circumstances separate us from God. God's still right here in front of me, but I put my circumstances in between us, and guess what? He's like, come on, let me see you. I'm here. He's doing the dance, right? But until we go, our circumstances aren't the important thing God is. Our circumstances will always get in the way. Our circumstances will always get in the way and will dominate us and put us into that pit of despair. Trust me, I have been there. I have lived it, and I don't want to do it again. When we concentrate on what's happening in this world, we will separate from God. Because if we, in the midst of everything, concentrate on God, the chaos around us will continue going. But if our focus is on God and God alone, we can get through it. He will help us. He will strengthen us. He will help us through it. But only if we are concentrating on him. Only if our focus is on him and not all the junk. I almost said a bad word. All the stuff around us. I always think of, um, you know, you think of the eye of the storm. You think of tornadoes. And what's fascinating with tornadoes is we see the destruction that a tornado does, right? We see all the junk it collects on the outside, the twirling motion, the, the um, hazard that it is. But when you get directly into the center of a tornado, it's calm. There's no sound. There's no wind. It's very calm. It's eerie calm. Not that I've been in the center of a tornado. I've seen this. Just, you know, videos. Google it. It'll show you. Um, but it's very calm. The eye of the storm. If we are in the apple, if we are right in the eye of God, if we are with God, that's what it's going to be like. Disaster and destruction can be happening all around us, but we can be calm in the center. We can be calm in the center. But we live in this tension, in this paradox of God is king and our, our circumstances make us feel like God's nowhere around. So the other night, God um, woke me up at 1.30 in the morning. love when that happens. And I was half asleep. You know, you're like, what? And he gave me a secret. Actually, he gave me five secrets. Do you want to know those secrets? Mm. Well, I wrote them down on my phone. I grabbed my, you know, it's like, grab my phone. Wrote them all down and put it down. And I fell right back to sleep. But I knew I didn't do that right away. So you know how you just keep going because you can't fall asleep because God wants you to do something. And so once I did it, I fell back to sleep. And then the morning I looked at it, I went, Lord, you're going to have to give it to me again because a lot of these words I don't understand. <laughs> but here are the secrets. God gave me the secrets. Lean in. Ready? God has big shoulders. He can handle whatever you give him. Look what Jeremiah did in Lamentations. 
Look what he's did right now. Lord, you're not even around us. Look what you did. God has big shoulders. He can handle whatever you give him. In Psalm 139, 7 through 10, if you've not read Psalm 139, read it. This is one of the Psalms I read all the time. This is my Psalm. God gave it to me a few years back and said, read it every single night, and I did. And then he told me to read something else, but I go back to this all the time. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He's everywhere. And he's got the big shoulders to handle whatever we throw at him. It doesn't matter how big or how small. I think the worst thing that um, I had a friend that would do, that, oh, you, or, how are you? Um, do you? We would be doing Bible studies and how are you? Um, do you need, what do you need prayer for? Oh, I'm good. Always. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Irritated me. Because you might have one good day, but you're not always good. Well, come to find out, this person thought their prayers didn't matter. They weren't big enough. Other people had bigger prayers, more concerns than me, God doesn't need to hear them. God always has time for you. That's my second secret, his second secret. God always has time for you. It doesn't matter how little or how small. How small, how stupid you might think these prayers are, he has time for you. He wants to know about them. He Whatever you're concerned about, he cares about. And he has time to listen to you. Doesn't matter how small or how big. He's got the shoulders and he's got the time. So I have to tell you the story. Um, I pray for a parking lot. I do. When I drive my mom to one of her appointments, it's in this one parking lot. Kathy, I think you've driven your mom there. Um, and all the handicapped parking is on one side, and then there's another side that's all the rest of the parking and it's always crowded and there's never any place to park and it's just kind of a mess so as soon as I turn left down the street before I'm going to turn right into the parking lot I say oh lord please let there be a handicapped parking spot for us to park in and some people say well why you should never play for a parking spot well it's important I of course you do. Why? My mom's 92. She uses a walker. She can't walk across the whole dang parking lot. Well, she could, but then she couldn't walk through the doors and get to the office. She'd be too tired. So if there's no handicapped parking spot, then I have to drop her off, go find a parking spot somewhere, and then rush over to her. And hopefully she hasn't wandered. Well, she doesn't wander. She just stays there. But you never know. She's 92. And then we have to make it up the thing. And a lot of times I've left her for five, six, seven minutes looking for a parking spot. And then we have to rush upstairs, get into the office. And then guess what? 
When we come back down, I have to leave her there. I run to my car, which is usually underground parking because there's no place else to park, and then grab the car. And the place where it is, it's you can't U-turn very easily. So trying to get my car to U-turn and turn around, you know, then open the get her in, put in her walker, and people are waiting for me to move. It's stressful. And God cares about that. God cares about it so much. So when I pull into the, start to pull, Lord, just let there be a parking spot, please. Just let there be a handicapped parking spot. And nine out of ten times there are. Sometimes there isn't. And that's okay. So I, when there isn't, I said, okay, God, you got a plan for this. I don't know what it is, but maybe somebody needed a spot more than we did. But nine out of ten times I have a parking spot. God always has time for you. It doesn't matter how trivial the prayer request is. Nothing is trivial to God if it concerns you because you're important to him. And he has time for you. He has time for you. There is no time constraints with God. In Isaiah, this is 40, no, hold on. Yeah, 40, 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God? The creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding, and his understanding no one can fathom. He will not grow tired or weary. Because he's got time for you. There's no time constraints. He loves you guys so much that he has time for you. Number three, secrets. God already knows what you're thinking. Think about it. Think about some of the things you thought about or what's been on your heart. God already knows. Oops. Right? God already knows what we're speaking. So this is what I say. You might as well talk it, say it out loud. God already knows. People have um, been surprised at some of the prayers I've said when I've been angry or frustrated or whatever. And I'm like, he already knows it's in my head. So I'm just speaking it out. Remember, he's got big shoulders. He's got the time. So we might as well speak it out. From Psalm 139, 1 through 4. Remember, that's my favorite psalm. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my laying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Oops. How many of you thought, shoot. I thought some pretty bad things, and the Lord knew it. He knows everything. He knows when we sit, when we rise. He knows the words that are going to come out of our mouths before we even speak it. And guess what? He still loves us. He still wants to be there for us. But if he already knows, speak it out. That's lamenting. Here in the U.S., we're horrible at grief. We're horrible about healthy expressions of emotions we're horrible at it because we've all been taught i think we've all been taught you just keep it in buck up pull your bootstraps up right upper chin keep up that upper chin don't show your emotions okay so i'm gonna go kick the cat or i'm gonna go you know 
drive crazy on the road. I'm going to go to the bar and drink. I'm going to go um, do drugs. I'm going to go hit my kids or my wife or my husband or a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever it is. For a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. Speak it out. And the reason we speak it out is because it sets you free. How many times have you guys had those conversations that go over and over and over and over in your head constantly? And you mull it over and you think about it and it drives you crazy and you get more frustrated and blah with it. By speaking it out loud to the Lord, you free yourself from those thoughts. It works, you guys. I've done it. When I start having those thoughts that won't leave my head, I sob and say, okay, Lord, this is what's going on. This is what I'm feeling. What are you going to do about it? That's what I usually say. What are you going to do about it? Because I know you're king. I know your promises are true. I know you're faithful. I know you're there. So let's do something about this. And when I talk to him and release what's on my mind that he already knows, it sets me free. It sets my mind free to be able to focus on God more. Because when it's running in my head, guess what I'm focusing on? My own thoughts. I can't focus on the king of kings. I cannot focus on God. Even Jesus. In Luke 22, 42 through 44, this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, this is what Jesus was thinking. God already knows his thoughts. He knew the words before it stuck on his tongue. But this is what Jesus said. Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. If Jesus can go to the Father and needs to speak it out, we can too, because we're heirs. We're his kids. We are his sons and daughters. We are adopted. As soon as we said yes, we became children of God. Jesus was so stressed out, he sweat blood. That's pretty bad. He didn't want to go into what he knew was coming, the beatings, the floggings, the spitting, the cursing, the um, crucifying, being nailed on the cross, being pierced for all of us. He didn't want to do that. And when he spoke out those words of frustration and fear, and the stress was released through droplets of blood instead of sweat. He was strengthened by an angel, and he was able to get up and say, now I'm ready, because it set him free to concentrate not on what was going on in his head, not the fear, but on what God's will was for his life. God didn't take away what was going to happen. He strengthened him. He freed up his mind so that he could concentrate on his father and his father alone so that all of us could be saved. If Jesus can do that for us, we can do it too.
we can do it too. To speak it out because it sets your mind free so that you can concentrate on God. And the fifth secret he gave me, God wants us to be real. God wants us to be real. There are so many times that we walk in this life and on the outside look one way and on the inside it's a completely different story. We're all put together. Everything's good. And on the inside we're a mess. God wants the messy part of you. Not the perfect put together part because he knows it's fake. He wants the real stuff. He wants the messy stuff. He wants us to be real. He created us in his image or created us to be in relationship with him. I get there. Um, created us to be in relationship with him. And the only way we can do that is by being real. In Genesis, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He created us to be in relationship with him. But he wants the real person to show up. Not the one with the fancy prayers. If you've ever heard my prayers, they are not fancy. I don't have fancy prayers. I used to try and it made me upset because I couldn't do them. And then God said, just be you. And I said, okay, I can do that. God wants us to be real because he created us in his image. He wants that relationship with us. He cannot have a relationship with a fake person. He can only have that relationship with someone that is real, letting out the messy stuff. So, ah, this is driving me crazy. Let's go to Lamentations 5.21.22. This is the kicker. This is the last two verses. So how we get there, we have to pray. We can't, especially in chaos, when we're in despair, we're in the pit, we can't get there on our own. We have to go to God, as Jeremiah and the people did. Restore us to yourself, Lord. We can't restore ourselves to him because we're too weary. But he can for us. Restore us to you, Lord. Sorry, my iPad's going crazy. That we may return and renew our days of old. But here's the, here's the other line. Is it up there? Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond all measure. The end. Restore us, Lord, unless you don't want to. That's where we end. There is no nice, neat conclusion. There is no answer. There is no solving the problem. There is a tension of living in that paradox. God is king. Circumstances are bad. Restore us, Lord, unless you don't want to. When we are trapped in the chaos, the junk of our circumstances, we ask the Lord to restore us to him when we have no energy, no faith, no hope to do it ourselves. 
by lamenting, showing grief, and through prayer. All of those things, those three things, is a crucial part of our journey of faith, of God's people's faith journey in a broken world. We can't live in our grief. We can't live in our our despair. We can't live in our depression. We can't live in a broken world without being able to express our emotions by lamenting, without praying. When we do those things, it will strengthen our faith. It will give us hope to help us heal and to move forward. What Jeremiah is saying, and this is from Linda Hines from this morning, is that we need to rest in what is. We need to rest in God in the what is. What is the circumstances? We need to rest in God in the what is. The chaos, our broken world, it will change. But right now it's a mess. How many of you have noticed similarities from when Jeremiah wrote Lamentations to now? We live in a broken world. People are going farther and farther away from God. And there are days where it just looks hopeless. There's a few days I was just in despair. I couldn't figure out what was wrong. I was realizing that I was just stuck in the circumstances of this broken world. I was looking all around us and thinking there is no hope. But there is. We need strong, powerful Christians to rise up, to be the Jeremiah's, to be the Isaiah's, to be the King David's, to be the Moses, to be the Paul's and the Peter's and the John's and the James, to be the Esther's, ladies, you're not left out, to be the Esther's, the Deborah's, the Ruth's, the Mary's. We need powerful Christians to rise up. If you come here every Sunday just to check a box, it's not enough. If you don't seek God in the everyday, if you're not worshiping him in the everyday, if you're not reading his word in the everyday, if you are not communicating in the everyday, It's not enough. Our world will continue to crumble. I look at this lamentation study as a warning to us right now. God has patience, but guess what? His justice will range. Will reign, range, reign. His justice will reign. And I'm kind of scared to see what that's going to look like. And it's coming. There's a lot of us that have been praying and prophetically have known that it is coming. The warnings are here, Lord, from the Lord. The warnings are here. If we do not start rising up and becoming powerful Christians, we will suffer what Lamentations, what Jerusalem has suffered. We already have a little bit, haven't we? You've seen some of it. And it will only get worse. So if you have only been coming to check off a box, 
you need to change. I'm not going to, you know, pussyfoot around it. You need to change. You need to see God in the everyday. You need to go to him every day. We need to pray, Lord, restore us to you as a people, as a country, as a world. I invite the, uh, the praise team up. We need to be restored to the Lord. Go ahead and stand up and let's pray. Father God, we see the warning and the limitations for our world today. Lord, that scares me. That scares the rest of us. Lord, we ask now that you restore us as your children back to you. We ask, Lord, that you restore our nation back to you. Lord, we ask that you restore our world back to you so that you may reign forever and ever. Lord, restore us so that we can be strengthened. Restore us, Lord, so that we may find hope and faith again. Restore us, Lord, back to you. Help us, Lord, to live every day with you, in you, and through you. Lord, put a fire in our heart to be near to you. Put a fire in our heart to be partners with you to work in your power and in your strength, Lord, to be ministering out in the world, to be evangelists, to be shepherds, to be healers. Lord, help each one of us to operate in the fire of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and live in each one of us, Lord. Holy Spirit, guide us and direct us. Jesus, protect us and heal us. Heal our nation, Lord. Heal our world, Lord. Bring us back to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your warnings. Thank you, Lord, for your time. Thank you, Lord, that doesn't matter how big or how small our requests are. You are there. Thank you, Lord, for never abandoning us. Thank you for always being there for us. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your compassions that are new every single morning. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for your restoration. Thank you, Lord, for your healing. Thank you, Lord for your son who pleaded with you to take that cup away and yet just wanted to do your will because he loved you. Thank you for strengthening him so that he could go and be beaten and flogged and spit upon and cursed. Thank you for strengthening him so that he could be nailed to the cross and died for us, for our freedom, for our salvation to wipe away every sin. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that he was um, pierced for our transgressions. Thank you, Lord, 
for his resurrection so that we may be resurrected with you and with him. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Holy Spirit for our guide and our counselor. Thank you, Lord, for this day, for your grace and your mercies and your compassion are new every morning. Thank you, Lord, for being Lord over our lives, King over us, for being our friend and our Father. Abba, Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Um, when I uh, found out what the message theme was going to be, um, I wanted to share a song that I wrote. It's called Child of Grace. And I actually was born out of a prayer for a friend who was suffering. And you can sing with me if you want to, or you could just let the song be sung over you. Because essentially it's the first person. It's, a, it's God singing. Do not fear my child of grace. And we spoke today quite a bit about calling on the Lord in every season. So that theme is echoed here, that we can call on him when we're alone, when we feel lonely in the trials and the good times, all the time. And he will be near to us.
Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this beautiful day to gather with each other, God. Thank you that you are a God of grace. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We invite you to be Lord of our lives today. In the happy times, in the joyous times, in the stress, in the struggles, in the striving, help us to rest in your name, the name above all names. Be our Lord of our life, God, our coming and our going. It's by grace through faith that we are saved. Your grace gives us every breath that we breathe. Lord Jesus, we just celebrate today that we can live step by step, breath by breath, moment by moment with you. We are children of your grace. If we call you our Savior, we are children of your grace, and be our Lord today. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I want to say thank you for this sweet time we've had together. We've learned a lot about what you expect of us. And I ask, Lord, that you touch each of us this week. Um, with a moment when we can just be real with you, when we can bring the whole messy life that we are living right now right to your throne room, put it in your hands, and then rest in your grace. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord May the Lord lift his face upon you and be gracious unto you. Let him smile on you and give you his grace. Amen. It's okay. <laughs>